Welcome to Home and Away, the Sporting Kansas City podcast. I am Drew Vanderplug. I am joined once again by my good friend Cody Welton. Cody, how are we doing? Hello. I'm great. How are you? We're back for a third episode. It'll be a little bit different today just because uh, the available news is slightly different, but we're going to cover a couple things Sporting Kansas City related, and then we'll get into a little bit of our thoughts on U.S. Men's National Team because they are starting another cycle of qualifying tomorrow. So we're recording this on Wednesday, the 26th. So tomorrow evening will be the first of a three-game qualifying window that's fairly important to uh, the eventual results of the team in trying to qualify for Qatar. So I hope, I hope they brought their mittens. No kidding. It is going to be cold. Yeah. We'll talk about, you know, our thoughts on location choice and all of the things related to that later, but um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a cold window. Um, yeah. Columbus, Hamilton, Ontario, and St. Paul in late January, early February. Good times. So um Let's kick things off on the Sporting Kansas City side of things. First things first, one of the things that I like to do is make sure that we're trying to be as accurate as possible with the things that we talk about on the podcast, and I'll get better about doing this live, but um, I always like to make sure that if there's something that we missed, that we cover it in the next episode. And the first thing that I wanted to cover and kind of the errors and omissions part of things is uh, Ben Sweat. Uh, I talked about, we talked about him and Logan and Denbe sort of being like potentially both starter quality players in MLS. And I look back and Ben Sweat actually was only on about $250,000 a year salary last year with Austin. And as I looked at it, I was like, okay, well, that seems lower than I expected. I thought it'd be higher. I thought it'd be closer to TAM level. And then I also looked at what sporting paid for fullbacks last year. And Amadou Dia was on about 135,000. Luis Martins was about 340. So he's kind of right in the middle of that. You would expect after not playing a whole season and coming off a bad knee injury that he's probably actually getting paid less than that for sporting this year. But I was surprised to see that. And then I thought about it some more and I was like, well, how much do teams really invest in fullbacks in MLS? Is 250,000 sort of the norm for a starter? It seems kind of in the realm. Um, and then, you know, the sporting made what seems to be a significant investment with Logan and Denbe, who according to his Instagram stories, is in the United States. He had landed at Dulles Airport last I looked today, so should be on his way to Arizona. But I think a couple things I take from that, right? One, Ben Sweat, maybe not targeted to be the starter for the team, especially when you hear uh, Peter's comments about Ben uh, earlier today, where or yesterday, excuse me, yesterday, where he said that, you know, we're working him in slowly. He's coming off a major knee injury. We'll have to see how he comes up. Um, But secondly, to invest a transfer fee and a fairly significant salary into a young player, you know, that I feel like that's kind of uh, something you don't often see in the league. Yeah, I can't. I mean, investing money uh, for a transfer fee in a fullback is, uh, it seems to be, you know, something that doesn't, you don't hear about a lot, you know, in MLS at least. Um, but who knows? I mean, you know, the league is changing at, at such a rapid pace that that might become more of a normal thing, I guess. I, um, it, you know, it makes me excited for uh, to see how Ndembe does. And, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that you, that you pay a transfer fee and that kind of salary um, for a player who you don't, 
envision being heavily involved in the attack. And so um, I think that that uh, that's reason to be optimistic. It certainly is. I, I What I've found over the last few weeks is just some level of optimism about the scouting that the club has been doing related mm-hmm. to utilizing the U22 initiative to their advantage. It makes me even that much more upset. I don't know if it's the right term, but just frustrated by Polito's injury sort of getting back, you know, taking out this entire season because it feels like the team was really setting themselves up to, first of all, get younger, which was a really key need, right? The, the team was getting old, right? So you're, you're, the team is getting younger, but also bringing in key young talent that could provide either long-term um, capabilities for the club or be used to create more external transfers that they could use to invest further and, and do all the kinds of things that help the club build over time. So all of that is, you know, stuff that made me really optimistic for how the club is doing business. Now, transfer market is not necessarily perfect when it comes to telling you what these numbers are and how realistic they are, but they get you in the ballpark. They're, they're directional, right? Like they give you a decent idea. So transfer market has the fee on Indenbe at a million and a half. Who knows how accurate that is? It could be a million. It could be 2 million. It could be, I'd be surprised if it's over 1.5 million, just knowing mm-hmm what I know about how the club does business, but certainly in that range, the thing that I found interesting when Peter talked about Ndenbe and we talked about on the last pod was that he could or could not be a U22 player. And that leads me to believe that perhaps his salary and contract are such that he could be tamable. Um, If you were to consider what you typically spend on a fullback, right? 300, $400,000 a year for a starting fullback in MLS if he is on a million and a half and he's got three years guaranteed, that's about an $800,000 cap charge. He would be in the window to be able to be a TAM player and allow some space. If you wanted to bring another U22 player in outside of Volader and uh, uh, Tsionis, who are both definitely going to be U22 guys. So I found that interesting. I don't know if, you know, everyone's going to ask the question. Is there a striker out there? Are they targeting a striker? Is there one that's, you know, in the, in the plans based on what we learned from the press conference, not necessarily, not really imminent. It does what isn't what it sounded like, right? It's more like we're looking to try and find potentially someone. And if we do great, Um, if it's going to be from Europe, there are some concerns based on international roster spots available um, and available you know, GAM funds and things like that that might be necessary to buy different contracts down to make it worthwhile. But you know, um, Manuel Vaith uh, tweeted that you know, Sporting Kansas City had been looking at in the Swiss League, uh, and yep. it actually he actually said they made a bid on a player um, that that was rejected. So who knows what that means? I mean, yeah, who knows? Who knows if it's true? Uh, although he is, you know, he seems to be a pretty reputable source. But Doctor Manuel Vaith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, he's a PhD, uh, but yeah, we like to call him doctor. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's generally he's he does all the um, U.S. based um, reporting for Transfer Market. Mm-hmm. Does all of, uh, is their contributor, I would say, in the United States for for Transfer Market. So if business is happening, he's probably got a reasonable read on what's going on. But then yeah, you know, I, that, I mean, that was that was a couple of weeks ago, and and sure. we've signed uh, you know 
a handful of players since then. So uh, who knows what's going on? Well, and also the way that Peter does business, if it was rejected with a not no, but hell no, Peter's just going to move on. Right. Like, you know, I mean, if, if the, the team that they're trying to do business with values of the player at a significantly higher level than Peter, he's not going to just keep trying. He'll move on to the next thing. Right. So who knows? Um, He didn't, he did comment on the fact that they were looking domestically as well. I don't know who that could be at this point. Literally the only players that I can think of domestically that are even available um, to play that position would either be um, Ola Kamara, right? It's, it's well reported that DC United is willing to deal him. He's on a reasonable contract that uh, sporting could potentially manage that. When I looked at it, it was like 475 grand. So, I mean, even below the TAM threshold, so you would think, you know, assuming that GAM and TAM are used in the right way, you would think that they could make that deal work. Um, but who knows what DC United wants in trade for them, right? Yeah. And that's the that's the other issue is what assets do you have to give up to do it? It would have to be allocation money. I don't think I don't see sporting moving players. So Yeah, we don't we don't have players, we don't have international spots. So Right. Right. Yeah. Um but I think, you know, I'm not going to speculate. Kamara's been in the league for a minute. I, I don't know if he has a green card or not yet, but it would make it. I, be, I would dare to bet that the reason you would be interested in him, if you are, is because he doesn't acquire, require an international spot. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't, you know, he's, he's been available before and it did not seem like they, like they've been interested in him in the past, but I don't know that he's the best fit for this team to be completely yeah. honest. I'm just thinking about strikers that are available. Like if you were to think about Ola Kamara on sporting, I, I don't know that I like the fit to be completely honest. Yeah. He's a poacher. That's just not really what Peter gets wants out of that position. He would rather have Kyrie Shelton doing Kyrie Shelton things than okay. someone standing in front of goal, waiting on someone to send him a pass. Absolutely. Um, I, I, and I don't necessarily disagree with him. You would have to reshape how the guys played pretty significantly to make Ola Kamara successful uh, yeah. in that system. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sort of ambivalent on that. I've heard wild accusations about things like Josie Altador. Well, wild accusations, more like wild theories about things like Josie Altador. Josie Altador is not coming to Kansas City. He'll hang out with his new wife before he comes to Kansas City for a massive pay cut to be yelled at by Peter why he's not running enough. Like that is yeah, just the barbecue's the barbecue's good, but it's not that good. It's not that good. And I don't think I don't think Josie's hamstrings could deal with what Peter wants him to do. So yeah. um I, I I would I would say that if he were to bring in someone domestically, it's gonna be a backup level player that will just be sufficient to spell Kyrie sometimes that that's how I look at it. So, um, and I, and I don't mean to be negative about the situation. I'm just trying to think of like a lot of the league business is done internally right now that I just don't know that how much opportunity there's going to be there for them to, to, to address this the way that they'd like to. Right. Mm-hmm. I think they'll keep looking and maybe something happens in the summer. But I would be surprised at this point. Um, I, I know that Peter knows that the position needs to be addressed, but he's not going to be um, rash about making a decision just because a hole needs to be filled. Uh, you know, I mean, he, I think he feels he has somebody he trusts there already in, in Shelton who, you know, he knows what he's got. He knows that 
you know, the, the things that Shelton brings to the table. And you know, even though, you know, a lot, some of us fans, myself included, aren't that high on, on, uh, on that possibility. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Peter, Peter is, uh, you know, oftentimes he's, he's stubbornly conservative in the way that he approaches uh, his roster and he's not going to overpay for players and he's not going to, he's not going to panic by. Um, and especially when he's got somebody he knows who can do the job and he's showing over and over again that he trusts, you know, Shelton and uh, he likes the way Shelton plays. And um, there are a lot of good aspects to Shelton's uh, uh, play. I mean, there really are, um, you know, I, it just, it's it's concerning the finishing uh, is the problem right we, we all know it right it's I mean, just like good. his hold yep. up play his his movement is really good he gets into great spots he's just not consistent enough finishing chances like and and i'm not saying that he isn't capable of finishing chances we've seen him do that and in fact he's really good in the air which i think is helpful because you put him and ec on set pieces i think that that's a positive but i don't i i don't know that i agree with that i don't really i don't think he's that good in the air i don't i mean well, as, he jumps as, really high, is what I right. So, so say. that's the thing. As tall and as athletic as he is, um, he does not um, he does not score a lot on set plays, and um, and I think that you know, well, he scored a couple times last year in set pieces. I don't think that that's necessarily true either. One of them looked a little janky as far as how he scored it, but I mean, he was kind of like off his thigh. But yeah. um, it was a it was a Zardes esque kind of goal, but it was still. I mean, he scored a couple goals off set pieces last year, so I hear what you're saying. But I do believe that his the things that he adds are still net positives in those situations. Versus, I don't think Polito's a net positive on set pieces. No, I would agree with that. Um, I think I, Kyrie I, I, Sheldon does a lot more of occupying center backs on a set piece than Polito does. Yeah, I mean, my, my problem is more, I think, uh, just, you know, within the system, right? Uh, looking at uh, the system and the style that sporting yep. plays. And, you know, if you could, if you could rely on, um, on midfielders to sort of make up the, the, the goals that you lose by playing Shelton, um, yeah, that would they be don't do that. <laughs> no, it's not by it's, design. They don't do by, that by the by design. I mean, our, red, our our midfielders rarely venture into the box, and you know when they do, they seem to end up in the doghouse for uh, a string of games. So, um, well, let, okay. So let's transition really quick on that because Felipe Hernandez reinstated. That was sort of expected based on what we saw from him going to camp with the team mm -hmm. and, and all the things related to that. We kind of thought that this might be coming. Felipe Hernandez does get into the box. He does. Yeah. That is he something he does and yeah. he's good at it. Right. He like, he's, this is something we talked about with Weston McKinney last week that, you know, making the late run and getting into the, getting into the space sort of in the top corner. Right. And when the, when the center defenders collapse and you find that space in the top corner and running to mm -hmm. that spot, he's actually pretty good at that yep. and he will do that. And again, it hasn't, we haven't really had a guy that does that since Felipe Gutierrez. Right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the key with right. him is he, is he, is he works back defensively. Yeah. I mean, you know, Duke also gets in the box, but then maybe it neglects his defensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Duke's uh, a little more chaotic about how he does yeah. it. Right. Yeah. I don't, Felipe is in my, it's a, it's a small sample size last year, right? We like, we understand he played 400 minutes, so it's hard to take it that seriously, 
But what we saw in those 400 minutes is what kind of got people excited Mm -hmm. because he was, he was making intelligent runs into the box. It wasn't just that he was getting in there, but they were smart as to when he made the decision to do those things. Kambuk's a little more chaotic. He he's flies by the seat of his pants a little bit more, which I think because of his inherent athleticism, he's been able to get away with for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think you expect that those things will, he'll learn better about when the right time is to make those decisions. But if Gadi Kinda is going to be out for however long, um, I wasn't necessarily upset to hear that Felipe had been reinstated because I feel like that there's an opportunity there for him. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, not only, not only is he reinstated, but, you know, the indications were that he is, you know, um, as fit as you could expect him to be and ready to go. And, um, and so, you know, I think that the, yeah. the preseason will be key to see how he does and, and whether or not he can slot in, you know, with Voltaire or whatever, you know, that, that would probably be the, the, the midfield pairing that I would expect. Um, but you have knows? to think that he's fired up to go, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. after almost losing his career, Mm-hmm. The the opportunity to and maybe his life and earn too. it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just all the stuff that was going on there. The opportunity to try and get back on track has got to get him super motivated. If it doesn't, I don't know what I'm. You're. I don't know what to say, right? Um, but it. I hope that obviously he's got all of his stuff under control, and I'm sure based on the release from MLS, it made it seem like that there's going to be some oversight into ensuring that he's got all mm-hmm. of his stuff under control. But assuming he does, I think from a soccer perspective, it's a big positive for sporting to have him as an option, assuming yeah. that he comes back playing at the level he was. Yep. Totally agree. Okay. So um, what else has happened? Sionis is official now. We talked to him about, about him a fair bit last week. So he is official in the squad. There's a little bit of international roster spot, musical chairs happening. We don't have to make those decisions until February 25th, but currently sporting have nine international roster spot players, including Polito. I think worst case scenario, they put Polito on the season ending injury list and you free up a spot that way. I think best case scenario, Peter has alluded to multiple times that there are a couple folks waiting on green cards and assuming that comes in, then you don't necessarily have to put Polito in the season ending injury list. And if you're not going to use that 250 K roster, you know, spot replacement player, I don't see why you put him on the season ending injury list. Maybe yeah. he recovers from surgery better than you expect. And never it's, know. it's, it's September and he's in full training, right? If that's the case, don't put him on the dang list. I mean, Jordan Morris came back from his first ACL super fast. So yeah. I, I think that, and this was an ACL and surgery, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And the second he came back from really well. Um, but I, I think that you don't put him on the season ending injury list unless you have to. So we'll yeah. have to see how that works out. Well, and, and the, you know, Peter's really smart about, about dealing with that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that they, they balance those things really well. Um, and so I, you know, I would imagine that they'll be very, very careful and, and they won't make a decision until they absolutely have to. So um, we can expect to have to be patient. Why would you, right? I mean, right. if you're waiting on green yeah. cards, wait until the absolute last minute, right? Yep. 
and use, I'm, I know they have like a group of folks within the staff that is responsible for working the state department and all that stuff mm-hmm. on those things. So yeah, keep, keep leveraging as much as you can and let them know the deadlines are important and hopefully you get some, you get some positives out of that. Um, the other thing that came out of the press conference yesterday was just talking about Johnny Russell. And first of all, apparently how fit he came into camp, like apparently Johnny just came in like day one, like he looked like he was ready for the first game of the season. Um, even said when they played the friendly with us women's national team, Johnny said it was like the best I've ever felt in a first game ever. That's great. And um, what Peter had alluded to was that Johnny was really taking on the leadership role given how many new players were in the team, how many were going to need to be sort of indoctrinated into the culture that Johnny was doing a very good job of being a leader and that he was going to be responsible for really bringing in these younger players and these new players that are coming into the team and bringing making him a part of it. I think Uri is probably less of a concern because he's been in the setup before, mm-hmm. but there's a bunch of new guys. And uh, to hear that Johnny had really taken that as a responsibility and was very interested in coming in and leading by example, especially, I mean, he's, 31, 30, 31, 31. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, I mean, considering that 31. Yeah. So yeah. he turns 32 in April. Okay. Um, and coming in that fit. I mean, I think that's really cool that he does that. And you've got some other veterans that are, that are older that do that too. I mean, Zussi's always looks like the most fit guy in the team and he's 35. Right. I, I just, I think that that's good to hear and yeah. makes me feel positive because I do believe that he's got the personality to do it mm-hmm. and to command that level of respect. And um, it seems like he's taken that on, which is good to hear. Yeah. I think, you know, when you have a person like that with, with uh, that big of a personality and that level of intensity um, you know, it can go two ways and one, you know, one way is, that person is a leader and um, helps <laughs> helps provide that stability, and the other way is not as good. So uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that he's taken that leadership mantle, and uh, um, I think that uh, I think that it's a it's kind of a different style of man of of um, of captain than maybe we've had in the past, and I think that that's a good thing. And you know, the, the team right now has a really I think good mix of. Uh, veterans, um, you know, guys who are good leaders, and then, uh, you know, some, some, you know, est- established players who maybe aren't really, you know, in that, in that leadership tier, you know, like, you know, shallowy, for instance, um, and then, and then some young guys as well. And so, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's a much more it's a it's a much better balanced team than it has been in the last couple of years, um, in terms of experience and in terms of, of um, you know the 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 amount of games they played in MLS. And so uh, I think that that bodes well, honestly. It does. But the thing that's interesting about that, right, is I think that there's a really you mentioned Shallowy. There's a valuable piece to Shallowy being on the team right now, which is he's sort of a veteran when you mm-hmm. think about being a part of sporting. Right. Yeah. He's been with the club since 2017. So yeah. he's, he's got a lot of experience with the club and is able to, for the young players and the new players that are more in his age bracket, mm-hmm. 
he's able to kind of help in those situations. I would not be surprised to find that, that he is a part of that. I know that he and Johnny are very good friends and I'm sure that that has something to do with how they handle a lot of that stuff. Um, Johnny is while, you know, he's a, he's, he's a veteran and he's a leader and he's the captain and all those things. We also know that he is lighthearted. He likes to mess around. He likes to use levity to kind of keep people engaged with what's going on. I think that shallowy helps participate in that. But I also believe that, that that guy is a, is a great asset to have for these 21, 22 year old players coming into the club Mm -hmm because he's got so much experience and can kind of help guide them along. So I actually think that it's interesting. I know we don't do vice captains and, you know, Raj is still on the club. So I'm sure he carries the armband if, if, if Johnny's not in the, in the lineup. Or Zussi. I, yeah. Or Zussi for sure. I don't know that Zussi would ever be the captain, but that's a separate conversation. But, um, but shallow, I do believe has some value in that circumstance because he has that. Now, granted, he's also in the last year of his contract. He's going to be trying to put another 16 and seven in. So he gets, you know, paid a renewal. And I, I think he, if he, if he's, if he starts off this year or anything like he did last year, they're going to get him a extension in the middle yeah. of the year. Um, but also that's, you know, you bring in these players like Sionis who plays his position. It, it it's, it's going to drive everybody along. It also mm-hmm. makes me think we talked about this earlier and this is a real quickly if Tsionis is going to be a left winger, Peter mentioned that he can play both attacking mids. We talked a little bit about this last week. I'm not sure I want to see that. I would prefer to see him on the wing based on what I've seen. But um, sometimes you're going to have to make adjustments based on who's available and rest and all that kind of stuff. But um, we could see Shallowy deputize in the center if Tsionis is going to play on the left. That could be something that happens. He's not a Shelton type of player at all. Um, he's not a Polito type of player. So I, I don't know if that's something I want to see or not, but I do, I could see a lot of potential rotations amongst the forwards. That is a circumstance where somebody made a comment um, this week where, you know, sporting playing the Pep Guardiola, Manchester city, no center forward system is not something mm-hmm. they could do. Well, I could see it working in that circumstance where shallow is technically the nine, but he's they're doing that three man rotation. Mm-hmm. That is something I wouldn't hate if Peter can figure out the rotations correctly. Yeah. He's, you know, shallow. played that position before um, he played a couple of years ago. Um, I think a couple of games, if memory serves, um, yeah. and I don't think he was great, but you know, he wasn't terrible either. And it was a back know, to goal kind of thing, which is not his deal. Right? right. Like, and, and, you know, Busio did it too. And yeah. Given his size did an admirable job at it, but it, it's not something I ever want to see again. Right. So it's, uh, I think that if they can use the forwards in a more fluid way, it could be useful if it's going to be the exact same system. No. I would prefer not to see it. So anyway, I just thought that that was interesting. There are some options around the forward line now. And I do believe that um, Shallowy is going to be, I, I can't believe that Johnny wouldn't be asking him to help with some of these players and bringing them along. I, I, I would expect that that would happen. Yep. So lots of interesting, fun stuff to think about. Um, 
as we noted last week, there will be a scrimmage on the 29th that we expect to be on the Sporting Kansas City website. So as far as streaming is concerned, so I would check that out then. I don't know if it's going to be a YouTube stream or what, how they're going to go about doing it, but I would, uh, if you've got some time on, uh, what was that Saturday? Yeah. It, um, give it a look. And uh, otherwise, I think it's time to probably move past the Sporting Kansas City news and dig into some U.S. Men's National Team talk. Um, for those of you that don't know, Cody and I both really enjoy the U.S. Men's National Team. We like uh, talking about what's going on with that team as well, just like we do with Sporting Kansas City. Um, right before, well, actually, right, I think you were probably airborne when this roster dropped. Well, no, you, you left Friday morning, so I guess it did drop. Did it drop Friday during the day? I can't remember when it did. Um, the roster drop for the U.S. Men's National Team. There's going to be, I don't, we're not going to be the guys that are going to spend 12 hours um, discussing who should have been picked and who shouldn't have been picked. Um, I just don't feel like that's useful. No, there's there are 17 other podcasts you can listen to where yeah. people argue about which person should be on the roster or not. Um, I do appreciate that Greg Velasquez on scuffed does, you know, at least caveat those conversations by saying they're talking about, you know, it's 28 man roster and we're talking Mm -hmm. about roster spots, 24 to 28, which is valid. Right. Um, But the, the first thing that I noticed when I looked at it was that there was only one left back on the roster. And the main reason I took notice of it is one and a half. Well, one and a half. Yeah. If you call Dest, <laughs> Dest can play left back. Apparently, according to Greg, so can Reggie Cannon or DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah, okay, whatever. I, I really don't want to see that in a World Cup qualifier, but okay. Um, it just, it, it was surprising to me, especially when you have a potential player in the pool that can play on the left side as well as the right in Joe Scally, who was not called in. And I, I guess Sam Vines... I don't know what the deal is with Sam Vines, but wasn't called in any way. I don't know if he's got COVID problems. I'd have to do some research on him, but was not in at all. Um, George Bello and Dewan Jones were in the camp. We're in the MLS camp, Camp Cupcake. Neither one of them got the call to the national team. I'm just a little bit confused by this. I, I'm not necessarily like concerned about George Bello not being on the roster. I felt like he was very up and down in the gold cup, but somehow got more call-ups after that and was still very up and down. So I wasn't necessarily as concerned about him not being on the roster, but I was just surprised that they hadn't identified anyone else. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that um, I think, I think there's a possibility that Anthony Robinson plays all three games, but I think another, I think that that's the plan. I think, I don't know. I think you can, I think you can, it might be um, part of the plan to give Dest a star on the left, but to you know put him behind, you know, Aronson or maybe Ariola. Okay. You know, I think yeah. I think I think Dest behind um, Pulisic is uh, is a disaster waiting to happen against uh, against anybody in Concacaf. Honestly, I, I don't. I think that's a terrible idea, and I hope that it doesn't happen. But I could see him behind one of those one of those two more you know, defensively responsible, hardworking uh, players. I would say against El Salvador would be the only team I could think of where you might get away with it. 
you definitely don't get away with it against Canada or uh, Honduras. Yeah. Both. Can you imagine Albert Elise going up that side? Oh my God. Like, no, I don't care if it's 10 degrees outside. I don't Mm want to see that at all. So I, that's the thing where I was surprised. I, I mean, I, I'm okay with Greg making decisions based on who he really believes is adequate to play the position. I'm surprised to find that, I mean, it, it seems to me that Anthony Robinson's going to have to start on, uh, start tomorrow and just hope that we're up big and in the 60th minute, you can just sub him off for somebody. I, yeah, but for who? I mean, I, I mean, I guess Acosta. Yeah, that, that was the thing he brought up is like Kellen Acosta could play left back. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, this is what we're going to right now. Yeah. Like, I, I, you can't tell me that Joel Bello is worse at left back than Kellen Acosta. I cannot, I will not agree with that. I just can't. So, well, I mean, yes, like, you could down. even bring in somebody like Tim Ream, you know, who could get, well, that's, get back up, so, be a backup at two different positions so so is there something weird going on there with tim ream because he didn't come into the last camp and it was almost it was reported that he i don't know that i would say requested but didn't want to come into camp he was trying to go back to fulham for some reason so i i hadn't heard that but okay there was something along the lines of him um you know not you know being okay with not being called up Hmm. um i I don't know. I, as much as I was concerned with George Bellows inconsistency against a El Salvador or a Honduras, I'd be fine if he was over there because that was what we had available. Like I, I, that's where I just, you know, this is, this conversation comes up a lot where does Burhalter overthink himself a little bit. And this just seems like an unnecessary situation to put yourself in. Yeah, I agree. But but the thing is, too, is, uh, you know, especially when we talked about the, the Tim Ream situation, I mean, we're not in practice. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, it could be that Joe Scally really didn't impress. Um, and that well, Scally wasn't in camp. So Scally, the, right. the one thing I understand about Scally, even though he did sub in this weekend for Mochen Gladbach, he was he's just coming off of COVID. So there was some concern about whether he was 90 minutes fit. And I understand, like, if you don't have a guy that's fully fit, you don't bring him to World Cup camp. You just don't. So I I was sort of unsure about that until I heard those that news that Scally's mm-hmm. coming off of COVID and he's just barely getting back to fitness. So I'm okay with Joe Scally. I assume that the Sam Vine situation is something similar, but um, – and I, I don't know. I mean, so Bello must have just been – not great at all. That's the only thing I can take away from this. Yeah. I get why you don't take Juwan, Juwan Jones. He has no U.S. Men's National Team experience. He you know, played very well for New England this year, but I understand why you don't take him to World Cup qualifiers in sub-freezing weather. I, I understand that. Um, but that just tells me that George Bellow was not impressive at all in camp. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, the only other kind of on the defensive line, you know, puzzler was, uh, you know, if you call it that, was on the center back situation. John Brooks is not selected again. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying that 
I think that if John Brooks is in camp, he's the fourth center back on the roster. So I'm not that concerned about him not being selected over whoever, because I think in these three games, you're likely to see a rotation of three guys, right? It's going to be Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, and Chris Richards. Those are going to be the players that you'll see play the majority of the minutes at center back. Mark McKenzie might play against Honduras. And so maybe if Brooks was there, he'd get the opportunity to kind of, you know, make up for the mistake he made in Honduras. But I'm not that upset about John Brooks not being there. The thing that I found interesting was the way that it was positioned was that it was related to form and I will agree that John Brooks's form with the national team, especially in CONCACAF matches, has been less than great. I don't believe that his form for Wolfsburg has been bad. Uh, it, it was in earlier in the fall, and he lost his starting spot as a part of it, and that was why he didn't go into the national team in the last window. But since then, he's been mostly pretty good, or mostly good, Wolfsburg is really bad, so it's hard to call hit call their performances good. But he's been mostly good. I think just he's a poor fit for how Berhalter wants to play. And Berhalter yeah. did actually say that. If you look at the whole quote, the quote that the quote that got out was, "Nothing is holding John back from this team other than his form." The whole quote is, "Nothing is holding John back from this team other than his form. We just don't feel like he's a good fit for how we want to play this window." That's the whole quote, which the second part of which I believe is true. The you first know, I, part I, I think that I'm, I'm not the biggest John Brooks fan, but I do think that, um, that, you know, the, 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 the problem with the last Honduras game, I think, uh, I think he bears, he's bared, he's born too much of the blame for that. Honestly. Uh, oh, I yeah, don't his positioning was not bad there. I don't, so I don't I don't think Greg put him in a position to succeed at all. He's no. a, a, a center, um, central center back and a back three. I just think it was a, it was, it was a bad idea, you know, and, and, you know, he, John Brooks is vilified uh, for having a bad game and getting yanked at halftime when, you know, it was the coach's fault. It was a poor tactical decision. That, was. That, none of that was on, I mean, the reason that they got into that position was because of poor tactical decision by Greg Berhalter. And everyone gives Greg credit for making the change at halftime that caused him to win four to one. But no one talks about the fact that John Brooks got ethered because Greg made a terrible decision. Mm -hmm. And um, the one thing I will say is that um, Brooks is a central defender that when it comes to making recovery defensive runs, he does the high percentage thing every time. Okay. So he's always, he, he doesn't, he's not doing anything wrong. He's moving to the right area. He's moving to the area you should in that circumstance, right? He's been coached very well as far as what I'm supposed to do in these given situations. And he follows that coaching very well. He's not an instinctive player in those circumstances. He's not stepping He's not, he's not, um, you know, expecting the pass in a certain place. He's not, he's not seeing the game before it happens. He's reacting to the game. 
and reacting in the way that he's been coached to react. And that's what causes him to be adjacent to any of these things that go bad. Because when you play the percentages, 80% of the time he's in the right spot, 20% of the time he's going to, it's, it's not going to work. And if you're not um, athletic enough or smart enough to see that that's happening before it happens, you're going to get caught. And that's what I find occurs with John Brooks more than anything. He is a percentage-based recovery player. And that's why he's still a great defender in general, because there's all kinds of stuff he does when it comes to aerial duels, individual duels, like getting into guys on the corner. Um, His progressive passing, as we know, is fantastic. There's all kinds of other stuff he brings that's positive. The problem is those things that he brings that are positive are not things that Greg Berhalter values and are not net positives to the system they're playing. And if that's the case, just say so. Just be like, dude, John Brooks, fantastic defender. He does all these things great. We're focusing on something else from that position. That's all you have to say. And then we can move on. But this, he's not in good form nonsense. I just, it seems disingenuous to me. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, who knows? It it could be, uh, could be a little retribution for, you know, John Brooks, you know, comments in the media or who, who knows well, but he was actually pretty good about the comments I mean, that's what i thought that's what i thought too but you know he's making comments and others maybe aren't i don't know uh i don't know it's- there's obviously i mean you know there's all kinds of suppositions about you know what what's really going on there is there a locker room problem there was some report of that after october that he wasn't the best locker room fit either and who knows there's also a speculation gonna- now that brooks is is you know is gonna leave Wolfsburg and you know do you want do you want that in your camp do you want somebody who's dealing with that speculation and uh in your camp yeah uh, in, a, in an important you know well, we got DeAndre Yedlin has no team and he's in the camp so that's why he should be in camp because he has <laughs> no team <laughs> so anyway um that's my that's my rant on John Brooks. I, I think that he's a fine player, but I think he's a poor fit for the men's national team. And that's okay. Yeah. And at They're, the end of the day, it's okay because, you know, Miles Robinson, 17 center backs, Miles Robinson and, and Walker Zimmerman have really stepped up in the past year. And, you know, we're good, honestly. I'm right. And Chris Richards good. is good. And now Justin yep. Che is now going to Hoffenheim as well. I mean, I, the, the pool of center backs and you've got, um, don't even get me started on uh, Cameron Carter Rickers, who I think was built for CONCACAF and is playing great <laughs> for Celtic right now. Like there's, there's all kinds of players available for this team. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's fine. Like I said, he's at best the fourth defender, a uh, fourth central defender on the team. So it's not a big deal. Um, the other thing that and, came and there's, out, and there's plenty of time for him to get back in the mix for sure. the World Cup if he wants to. And if well, and I think against European teams, he's probably valuable, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, if you're not if you're not defending a counter the whole time, or you're not playing, mm-hmm. you know, body and move soccer, I think that it's fine. I just I think that in Concacaf, he's just not a good fit. Yeah. Um, okay. So the other thing that came out is. Um, Yours and my uh, favorite UN's men's Mas- national team player. Well, second favorite. We both love Weston McKinney. Uh, Gianluca Busio was supposed to be on the roster. 
got caught in the uh, COVID outbreak at Venezia. So unfortunately he was not able to be called in. So um, everyone on U.S. men's national team, Twitter's favorite central midfielder, Luca Della Torre gets called in. Um, I'm, I'm glad that Luca gets another call up. I think that, I think that he's unlikely to see much playing time based on he's ill-suited to these games, honestly, you know, everyone's so fired up about this guy. And I'm like, I I don't want to be like negative about him as a player. I think that he's a fine player that's doing good things, but he's doing them for the 14th place team in the Eredivisie. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that there's a difference in quality in that league when you're competing against, let me, let me bring it back. There's, there's a part of this segment of folks who have a concern about the number of MLS players that end up on these rosters. Right. And there's a, you know, QAnon esque conspiracy related to, is there a, is there a quota for uh, MLS players on the women's national team roster? And, First of all, it's patently ridiculous to believe that that's actually true, but I can understand where it comes from, especially if you're very much focused on European players all the time. Most of the people who believe this, all they do is watch European, you know, they watch, they watch U.S. players in European leagues, and that's all they watch all the time. They don't watch MLS. They're not familiar with the, the league or what goes on with it. And you and I watch a lot of MLS soccer, and are aware of the fact that the Eredivisie is a great league. But once you get past IX and PSV, they're not very good. Yeah. Those teams are not great. The quality is not that high. It is, it, there's, there's a number of people who believe that just because you're playing in Europe, the quality is good. And I'm sorry, man. I, let me put it this way. I, you know I watch a lot of Venezia. That team is not good. At soccer they are not great um busio joined that team and until they signed like six more guys he was the best player on their team when he, he left sporting went to camp started and started their first what 11 games after that had never never been in the club ever shows up for three weeks starts the next 11 games no. and i'm not saying that that's anything against john luca but He's not the type of player you need to win in Serie A, right? He's he may be at someday, but at this point in time, he is not. He's got growing to do. He's 19. He's got there's a bunch of stuff he's got to do to be the kind of player that you need to win Serie A matches. And it just shows you that there are there are variances in level when it comes to Europe. And I mean, I'm glad that Luca Della Torre is playing regularly at Heracles Almelo, but I just to act like he is some sort of magician in midfield is a hard thing for me to square when that's where he is. He's playing yeah. the eight for the 14th best team in the Eredivisie. Well, you know, and the thing is, is that even even if he is a magician in the midfield. Um, these three games are not going to be those kind of games. Mm-mm. You know, three games are going to be, they're going to be cold. They're going to be just grinding out. They're yeah. not going to be 
attractive games to watch. Um, they're going to be slogs, and a lot of CONCACAF games obviously are slogs. And you know, you could make an argument that MLS players are better suited to those kinds of games because of the physicality of MLS, and also because of the the amount of travel that that MLS players have to have to go through. I mean, that's a you know, that's a taxing. Um, um, style of of league that they play in right mm -hmm. where they have to you know fly and uh, spend so much they're time. inherently more familiar with CONCACAF soccer than That's, anyone yeah. and they play they play with them. those guys and they play against those players that the, the players that they're playing right. against at the international level um and that's you know I, that familiarity is important I mean, be as frustrated as you want to be about Sebastian Legett over the last couple of windows. And I will, I am too. He has not been great. Like I'm, we, and you and I talked about it during the gold cup. We sat with a, and sat and watched a game together and watched him pass backwards for an entire game. And mm -hmm. it's, I understand where the frustration comes in, but I will also tell you that Sebastian Legett could go walk into 14 teams in the Dutch league and be an immediate starter mm -hmm. immediately. Well, so I, so I, I just I I we have to stop we have to stop doing this thing where we believe that just because someone's in Europe that they're all automatically really good. That's not how this works. Yeah. And because they're an MLS, they're automatically at a lower level. It's the it's the backup quarterback syndrome, you know. It's just like it's the it's the unknown quantity that's just really alluring, and um, you know, who knows whether that player is any good or not and and you know a lot of times what you get is people complaining and they don't even they don't even necessarily have you know players to to fill in like if you take uh, mls players off um and right. are there well, enough european players to actually point. fill this position yeah. there's not i mean and so well, yeah. and that's probably why I get so hot about the situation is because I watch these guys play soccer and I'm familiar with the soccer that they play. And I sort of understand why they're being selected. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's a secondary issue that's come that comes with this that is COVID related. Right. All the guys that were in the, the, the all the MLS based players that understandably I can understand a match fitness problem because they have not been in a match since November. I yeah. understand all of those concerns and I agree with them but they've been in camp for the past two weeks so you know where they've been and you know mm -hmm. they're not bringing COVID in with them which is a legitimate concern right now with the with omicron and the amount of outbreak that you have and how easy it is to have an outbreak we see this happen too much in uh, a number of different leagues so i do believe that there is a element to this that is COVID related Sure. All right. Um, what else has happened with the roster? Stefan, Zach Stefan, we may not see him at all. Um, that was sort of a surprise. Uh, you know, he gets named to the, to the roster. You sort of expect him to start because Burhalter's made it pretty clear that Stefan is his number one. You can argue about whether Stefan's abilities with his feet outweigh Turner's abilities with his hands. I, I'm not going to, I think that it's basically a wash. It really depends on how you want to play as to whether one is better than the other. Um, but I don't have a problem with Matt Turner being the starter. I'm perfectly fine with that. I think we have two number ones in my opinion, and you make a, you make a slight adjustment to how the team plays out from the back and it's fine. 
And again, um, in, in these in these conditions, in these type of games, it's it might be better that Turner's gonna Yeah, yeah. Having a shot stopper in there might be actually better than having a guy that can play at his feet. It the the only thing I will say about that is that's definitely going to be true in Edmonton because mm-hmm. they're playing on, or not Edmonton, excuse me. They're Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario is where the game is Tim Horton stadium. Cause of course it's Tim Hortons. Um, it's artificial turf. So that's going to be a bouncy sort of not clean affair. I think yeah. you can expect that. My understanding from the stuff I've read is that Columbus is going to have decent weather tomorrow um high of like 35 during the day uh kickoff time it's gonna be like 27 um and they feel like they've got the turf in pretty good shape they've had a grow sheet on it all for a week um there there's supposed to be snow today but they've got it covered so i think that the the expectation from the crew groundskeeper is that the field is going to be in pretty good shape not completely like playing in june but 90% 90% of that. Um, Minnesota. It's going to be warmer there than it was in Orlando over the weekend. <laughs> there you go. I'm yeah, exactly. Jealous. There was some concern about with the snow, would it, um, would it make the field wet? Right. And, and so, and, and that was really more in Minneapolis, St. Paul um, is like, they're, they've had a lot of snow, so they, they don't have a concern with clearing it. Both of those fields have glycol heat systems in them that the, the, the the surface of the field is going to be 40 to 45 degrees. So I don't believe that it's going to be a massive issue other than air temp. Right. And as you know, at a certain point, it gets cold enough that your lungs just struggle with the, with the coldness of the air. I don't know that's going to happen in Columbus. I just don't feel like it's going to be that cold. St. Paul to be determined, right. remains to be seen. Um, I think you're right. The, the Canada game is the one that'll be that'll the turf be, conditions in Canada are going to be rough and it's going to be bouncing. It'll, it'll be like, it'll be like kicking a brick around a field. Honestly, it, it, yeah, it's going to be, difficult. well, the ball I don't think is going to be as any worse than any of them. Cause Hamilton's not going to be significantly colder, but the field is going to be, yeah. it's going to be bad. Um, so that's the part of it. I think it's just going to, the field's going to be hard and bouncy. Right. And so that's going to be the part that'll be interesting from a tactical perspective, you know, how you deal with that. But um, as far as, uh, so Zach Steffen, unlikely to see him. Matt Turner, I'm fine with him. They have four goalkeepers on the roster anyway. Gago Salonina got to stay with the team, which I think is good because I think it'll be good for him long-term to get sort of built up in the team. And now apparently Chicago Fire is getting like $10 million offers for him. Um, So Good. They can use that money to turn around and buy Shakiri. It'll be great. <laughs> you want to see Zerdan Shakiri in I, Chicago? I love. Sh- I love Shakiri. I know you do. I, do. I know. And you do. so yes, I you know bring him. I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to watch him in MLS. Well, apparently Genie Wijnaldum's on the block too. So maybe that's what can, I've heard too. Yeah. Yeah. You can get you can get all the ex Liverpool players that have been shipped off to somewhere else. I'm actually world. not a big Wijnaldum fan, but uh, what? I, I know. I don't Didn't know. Genie Wijnaldum is fantastic. What is I, wrong? I know he is. I know he is, but he's just not, I don't know. He just doesn't do it for me. You hate Dutch people. I'd see. What Maybe that's it. Like, Maybe you're that's anti-Dutch. It. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. <All right. laughs> 
Um, so uh, the other the other interesting thing I heard today is that DeAndre Yedlin apparently just got to Columbus this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just had all kinds of issues getting out of Turkey. So um, weather wise, right? Apparently mm-hmm. the airport was snowed in for like a day and a half. So he just got to Columbus. They're making it sound like he's available for selection tomorrow. I don't know how you can do a transatlantic flight and then play a soccer match the day after. But I mean, like with Adams and Pulisic and those guys, when they came into camp, they gave him a whole day off from regular training. So I don't see how that's likely. I'm be well, fairly no, confident. There's no need. And, you know, if there's yeah. no need, why would, yeah, it's. Yeah. There's four right backs on the right. roster. Um, <laughs> I think we're okay. And I'm, so, yeah, I think you, it's unlikely you're going to see Edlin on the roster. It, they got to trim it down to 23 for the um, for the match anyway. So, um, unlikely you'll see Edlin. But I think Edlin's probably likely to start the last game against Honduras. Honduras, my yeah. expectation. Um, so, El Salvador tomorrow, Canada on Sunday. It's the kickoff's the same time as the Chiefs game. Like, come on, really? Well, since there are so many commercials and NFL games, we can you can just watch the. Oh US. yeah, no, trust me, I'm, I'm gonna have like the tablet up with the with the with the US game and then the Chiefs game on the. TV. You probably won't miss much, honestly. I, I, I mean, I'm sure I won't. I, that game's gonna be that Canada game. I want it to be good. I don't think it's going to be good. Not gonna be good. That's not good. <laughs> it might be good, and that it, it might be good for United States, but it's not gonna be in it. Uh, it's not gonna be a good soccer game. I'm not expecting much from that game from a tactical or soccer playing perspective. And then Honduras on the second in uh, St. Paul. So um, the thing that I noticed that I'm most excited for when we look at what the the team's going to be doing and have available, um, we've got everyone's favorite midfield, the MMA midfield, right? Musa Musa McKinney Adams for the way that Burhalter sets up this team. This is obviously the first choice midfield, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are guys that do exactly what Burhalter wants that midfield to do, right? Um, and they do it differently, right? But they're they're all, especially McKinney. McKinney and Adams are obviously highly defensively responsible, but they all cover ground. They all um, they do they do different stuff. Musa is more of a dribbler and a sort of. Um, I don't know what the way to describe Musa's play is because he's he's not like one thing. He he does a lot of different stuff that I find interesting, and part of it is because he's a teenager and he's probably still working on different things. I've seen him. Everyone talks about his dribbling, right, and his ability to dribble people. What I find more interesting is that he's able to eliminate people mm-hmm. from play, right? Like that's what he's really good at. It's either with a dribble, it's with a touch, it's yeah. with a you know, shield and move kind of situation. He's it's not, it's not just that he's dribbling. It's that yeah. you see him in space all by himself right. dribbling. And that, that well, is it's because a, he's made two guys completely. Mm-hmm. He's taken them out of the play yep. via either his positioning to receive the pass, his um, understanding of their run and moving a, away from it, right. To allow their momentum to go past him. There's, yep. there's a lot of stuff that he does. that's really smart that you're exactly right. Puts him in space. And then, and then when he's in space, he creates advantage, right? Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of the way he plays. I'm glad that he's playing a lot for Valencia lately. 
He got a goal on the weekend. I did watch that. Isn't he playing in the midfield now too? Yeah, he was. He was playing on the left, which I found interesting. So let's talk about that for a second because I saw him playing on the left against Atletico and he looked really good and scored a goal from there and was cutting inside to his right foot when he scored the goal. I believe that Weston's best position is a right midfielder. Personally, do you think that might happen for the men's national team where they switch sides? Because traditionally Weston's been on the left for the national team. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to predict what, what yeah. Greg thinks or what he does. I mean, he, he, he uh, surprises, <laughs> he surprises yeah. me consistently. Um, at the six tomorrow to be completely honest. Yeah. I mean, right? yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, it makes sense uh, at least to try it. Uh, especially, you know, in a game like tomorrow would be a perfect opportunity to do it. Um, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe something we can we can hope for and and look for. Maybe it'll happen. Or, or maybe he gives them the freedom to rotate. Yeah, I don't. So, so I don't think that um, I don't think that the system is that fluid, right? To allow yeah, for that that rotation. That's true um, because there there's so specific roles for that wide midfielder with yeah. the winger. Or that uh, and, and half space merchant, as you want to call them. So. The important thing too is is the um, is the rest defense. So it's the it's the it's the positioning on offense that um, that lends itself to defensive transitioning, right? And so, um, and and this is with Vermes too, right? It's uh, those players have to be in specific areas in the attack to make sure that if they turn the ball over, that they are where they need to be in, um, in defensive transitions. And so um, I think that that is really the main thing that limits the, the switching. Um, but you never know. I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. So um, maybe. Well, we'll it, it does, it does lead me to the, you know, it, it leads to the question of personnel as well. Right. You, you, you talk about like where that positioning is and what is the traits of the two inverted wingers, if you want to call them that. Um, mm. I, I'll be honest, everyone calls this system a 4-3-3. I think when your best 11 are on the field, it looks more like a Christmas tree because if you've got Pulisic and Reyna in those quote-unquote winger positions, they're tucked in so much all the time that it's more like a four, three, two, one, honestly. Um, because when I've seen them play with Pulisic and Reina, they're tucked in so much. They're almost like dual tens and that the, the, the three in the midfield, the two quote unquote eights, if you want to call them that are so wide yeah. all the time that it, they're more wide midfielders than they are eights. Mm-hmm which is fine too, because both of those guys have experience doing that. Right. McKinney and Musa have played wide significantly for their, for their club team. So they have experience playing in that space. So there's nothing wrong with putting them in that place. But I think when they're, when your quote unquote best 11 is on the field, it's not really a four, three, three. And then when Brendan Aronson and Tim Ware are on the field, it is absolutely a four, three, three. Right. Yeah. And those midfielders tuck in a hell of a lot more. And then, you know, Aronson and Wea are way out wide. Yeah. So it, it does change with personnel based yeah. on what I've seen. Um, Burhalter talks, this, talks about this a lot on the podcast he does with Bobby Warshaw. Uh, do you mm-hmm. listen to that podcast? It's 
I, I haven't listened. I think I've listened to everything but the latest one. I don't. Was there one? If in you the like the men's national team and you want to nerd out about how the team plays, it's fantastic. Yeah, Greg is very transparent. I mean, as transparent as he can be, right? He's not going to give away everything about how he has a team set up to play, but is significantly more transparent than I've ever heard a national team coach be about what he's trying to do. And if you want to nerd out on that stuff, he's really he's really thoughtful about it. And um, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to remember where I was going with this point, but he has discussed, you know, they have no matter what the formation or what the personnel, they have specific values and things that they're trying to play towards, mm-hmm. right? And things that they're supposed to look for at all times, whether it's when someone comes to what your role is behind, all those kinds of things, no, no matter what the formation is. And I'm just using that as an example as something that he said, all of those things always come into play. And there are specific values that you have to follow at all points, regardless of the formation and the roles and all those things to ensure that you're not creating a negative situation somewhere on the field. Right. To ensure that balance. Exactly. The balance is there. So the reason I bring that up is if Pulisic is on the left with Anthony Robinson, is there a reason that you would tactically put Musa over there, over McKinney that you can think of? And I know I'm putting you on the spot there. I'm just trying to. So, so I, I think it make I think it would make more sense to do that. Um, and the reason why is less because of those two players than what goes on on the other side. So, on the other side, if you have, you know, if you have, for instance, Wea and Dest, yeah. um, you would have, and Wea would, you know, tend to drift wider, and Dest would tend to cut inside. And so, you know, you would want your your more defensively um orientated uh eight to be over on that side and that's what's the um and so i mean that's that that would make sense to me okay well there there you go i mean i honestly didn't even know the answer to that question when i asked you but that makes a lot of sense that you would do that it's interesting right because anthony robinson does bomb hard up the left right he's known for getting advanced as but being wide, yeah, advanced, he stays wide, mm-hmm. which would seem to pair well with Pulisic, who is a left-sided winger, a right-footed left-sided winger would yep. want to cut in, and then Musa sort of finding that space behind him. I, I just feel like that combination makes a lot of sense. Whereas on the right side, right, you've got your more defensively um, diligent eight. I guess would be the best way of describing Weston is mm-hmm. also the person who's going to crash the box on crosses. Mm-hmm. And if there's a whole lot of playing from wide happening, him diving into the box there is actually going to make value. I, yeah. I just talked myself into it. Musa yep, on the left, McKinney on the right. Just make the – Greg, if you're listening, this is what you need to do. I know Greg listens to this podcast every week. So he's definitely going to take that to heart. But it, it, do, it does sound interesting to me for sure. Um, one thing that we know that's likely to happen, uh, is there's going to be a rotation, right? It's three games in six days. So they play Wednesday, Sunday, or excuse me, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday. So I guess it's seven days technically, but you know what I mean? So three games in seven days, they've minimized the travel as much as they can. Um, you know, none of the, you know, they're the flight from Columbus to Hamilton is apparently only like an hour. 
you know, it's like two hours from Hamilton to St. Paul. Um, the, I read some stuff uh, on the athletic uh, Sam Stasco had a really good article where he interviewed Hercules Gomez and they talked a little bit about snow classico and what the impact was of playing in that kind of temperature. And Herc brought up some stuff that I was not even aware of that I thought was interesting, which um, recovery after playing in the cold is actually really hard. It, you, you actually expend more, or it feels like you expend more energy mm-hmm. when playing in the cold. And they actually talked to one of the trainers of the New England revolution who said that that's possible as well, because your body's working harder to keep warm. Sure. So not only are you doing all of the soccer related things that are a lot, that are a lot rougher, but your body is working harder to stay warm. So it can be more draining uh, to play in cold weather. So the question is, how do you manage that? Um, I've heard a lot of different things about how different people feel that the team should manage these games. There's some conversation that perhaps you should play against El Salvador with not the best roster you have available. So do you have the best roster available against Canada? And I, yeah, you're shaking your head. So I think we're in agreement on this. My, my philosophy on this is you have to win home games. Absolutely have to win home games in CONCACAF. Put the best team you got out there. Mm-hmm. Thrash El Salvador and worry about Canada on Sunday. Like for real, like do whatever you can to win this match. Um, I even heard some people saying because Tyler Adams is on potential yellow card suspension that you don't play him. And I'm like, that sounds patently ridiculous to me as well. Why, why would you give him a double yellow card suspension by sitting him for a match? Like that doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to, if he's going to get the yellow card, he's going to get the yellow card. Yeah. Don't keep sitting him hoping that it, that it, so you can have it and you know, you can have him available in one game. Um, well, and so, yeah. so, so much of the rotation is, is dependent on what happens in the game. You know I mean? If we yeah. go up, if we go up three or four, nothing on, uh, on El Salvador, definitely you need to get, I mean, Adam should be the first one off the field, if that's the case. And probably Pulisic should be the second one off the field. Anthony um, Robinson as well. Right. Sure. And absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, you can't, you know, I'm sure that uh, because Greg does overthink things, I'm sure he has like a rotation in mind, but uh, you know, it, so much is dependent upon what actually happens tomorrow within the game. Yeah. Game States is going to obviously drive a lot of this. Greg made comments about the fact that, you know, because it's cooler weather and because the travel's not as bad that, you know, some, a lot of players may play three games and, I mean, I'm going to leave that to the physios and all those different people to figure out whether or not that's a good idea. Um, I, uh, I, I'm hopeful that uh, everything will um, work in the way that it's supposed to. So I think that what's likely to happen is, you know, there will be an evaluation to fitness after Canada and they'll make decisions at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've seen in these windows in these three game windows is typically the third game is where the majority of the rotation happens. And that's of course where the majority of the um, gnashing of teeth happens because Sebastian Legette and Christian rolled on are starting in central midfield, but it we'll, we'll wait and see what happens at that point. And, uh, the regardless of whether you're a fan of who those players might be in that scenario, 
there's no excuse for the players, the 28 players that are on this roster. There is no excuse for any of those 11 not getting a result against Honduras at home. Yep. Sorry. They're all good enough. They should, they should be okay. I'm not, I'm not that exactly. worried about it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Honduras is just not, they're, they're not good enough. And, no, and they have a couple, they have a couple dangerous attackers, mm-hmm. but otherwise yeah. they're not very good. Yeah. Um, and to expect that uh, the team, uh, this team can't reasonably compete with them is regardless of which 11 of this 28 is on the field is I'm sorry. It's I, I don't, I don't accept that premise. Yeah, totally agree. You know, when one of the, one of the problems in, in, you know, we talk about, um, you know, who to rotate and who's, you know, you start thinking about who's droppable and, and for what reasons. And, you know, I think that one, one thing that hasn't, um, that hasn't been uh, replicated so far is um, is just like the energy that Weston McKinney brings, and um, yeah. and you can always tell when he's not playing. And uh, I think that that's a problem. I mean, it, you know, especially against a team like Honduras. Um, and so yeah, I you know I'd really love to see somebody sort of step up and take that. Hey, maybe it's yeah. De La Torre. I don't know. I mean, that would be awesome. Um, I'm... But but we need you know the the team. This team needs a tone setter, right? I mean, uh, Tyler Adams is great, but he's you know he he's not you know he's not a wild man. He he runs and covers a lot of ground. Well, you know who that player is? The other player on the roster that does that is not here, and that's Gio Reyna. Those are the two yeah, guys totally. that, that bring that bring the swag. Right? Yeah. If we talk about yeah. that, right? And I know that that's a very you know ambiguous distinction but the the swag is what we're talking about like bringing that level of flavor to what's going on and being like hey look this is how we're going to play and you're going to feel when we're on the field yep and not necessarily just in tackles or all that stuff but we're going to make it hard on you and you're going to feel that mckinney absolutely absolutely has that yeah geo arena has that as much as i love the quality of christian Pulisic's play he's not that player He's much more like Donovan. He's very good, he, but he's a quiet guy who's to himself. And other than when he scores goals and pulls up his shirt and does all those kinds of things, he's very good after the fact. Right. <laughs> after he does something great, he's very good at showing off, but he's not a showy player. Dest is a little bit of a showy player, but he doesn't have the the um, attitude. Right. Right. The, the, right. Dest is not going to go in and two foot somebody, you know, he's just not going to do that. So I mean, no, but, but yeah, but I'm telling you, Weston McKinney and Gio Reyna are absolutely those guys. Yeah. I told you that they've got that, that flavor to how they play. And so I do believe that there are a couple on the team that do that. Unfortunately, there's only one in camp. Yeah. Um, and John Luca Busio is never going to be that guy. Nope. I'm trying to think of like maybe Brendan Aronson, if he comes out of his shell a little bit, I don't know. I don't know. He plays. He just works hard. So hard. I know. Ariola is the same way. They just yeah, hard working, hard running players. But you know, you gotta honestly, you gotta be a little mean. You know, you have to have a mean streak, and you gotta. And the only other one I can think of recently that's younger that's done it is Matt Miazga. Remember the whole thing with Diego Linez? Yeah. Well, uh, Matthew Hoppy too. I mean, he's oh Hoppy. Oh yeah. But yeah, Waki's got a whole thing on Matthew Hoppy and him being the prime annoyance. Like yeah. he is, um, I, I, 
there's a lot of stuff I love about Hoppy. Like he very much embodies the Clint Dempsey lifestyle when it comes to how he plays. I'm not sure he's as good as Clint Dempsey. That's the problem, right? Like he embodies a lot of the things I like about Clint, but not necessarily the quality of play. Unfortunately, yeah. If you have all of the attitude and and none of the skills, you know that's. that's, (laughs) I wouldn't say none of the skills. He's just not as skilled, right? Like that's what we call all sizzle, no steak. You know, that's that's a no go. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. He's he's. I like Hoppy a lot, but you're right. He's not. He doesn't have the the quality necessary. Real quick, guy left off the team who I do think is a very good soccer player that is just in a bad patch maybe coming out of a bad patch josh Sargent, did you see this weekend like yeah i did yeah he, he my, I my, mean, son, go ahead. my son told me that you know because he i was driving around orlando being a dad sh- soccer chauffeur and uh my son you know told me from the back seat that that uh not only did norwich win but Sargent scored a brace and i couldn't believe it and yeah. and then i and then i watched the replay of the of the scorpion kick goal. And I really couldn't yeah. believe that it was amazing. And I, I mean, hopefully, you know, a lot of times scoring goals is just, you know, a confidence thing and maybe this will do it for him and, and he'll get going. Cause you know, it, he's not a bad player. He needs to score goals, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing that um, I found interesting about all that is everyone looks at that sort of weird scorpion kick back heel thing that he did. And says, Oh my God, that's an amazing finish. And it is, but it's a lucky finish, right? I mean, you hope, you hope you knock it in when you do that. And if, if you have a good enough touch in a professional soccer player, you can attempt that and potentially make it work. And he did. And I'm very happy for him that he did. But honestly, I liked the header even more. The second mm-hmm. goal I liked even more because that was a looped-in cross. He ran from the 18. He saw it in the air, ran from the 18, and slammed it into the ground to make it harder for the goalkeeper to get to. It was actually a classically good center-forward header yeah. that he scored on the second one. The scorpion kick back heel thing, I mean, you could try that. You could ask Sargent to do that 10 times and he'd score on it three of them, right? Well, you know, as a confidence booster, you know. It is. But that's the thing is like, the, I do believe that Josh Sargent is a really good center forward. I really do. That like, there's a good center forward in there. He does so much good. He's like US Men's National Team's Kyrie Shelton. He really is. Because yeah. he does so many good things. He just, for whatever reason, just got the yips and he didn't have the yips when he was a youth player. Like no, he scored at every that level. guy was a freaking assassin yeah. when he was a youth well, player. So, and you know, you look at what happened to Daniel Shallowy, right? I mean, he, right. he went into a funk that lasted a couple of years. And, you know, before that he was one of the best finishers on the team and now he's come back and he's, you know, he's finishing and assisting and just a completely dynamic player. And so it's possible, you know, it's the, the, player development and growth is not linear uh, right. for every player, not even for most players. It, you know, you, it, you, sometimes you take a couple steps back and, uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you stay a couple steps back and sometimes you use that to propel you forward. And um, hopefully that's the case with him because he's, you know, like, like we said, he scored at every level. He's got it in him. You know, he's, he's, he's showing. I know that. he's a good finisher. I've yeah, seen it absolutely. too many times to believe yeah. that he can't finish goals. So I'm, I'm of the opinion that he just needs a little bit of confidence and needs to get on a good run. 
Yeah. And man, if he could do it at Norwich and keep them up, there's going to, I mean, he's going to have to do it because it was a, yeah, because, because it was, well, because it was a bad first half of the season that nothing's going to happen if he does it at Norwich and keeps them up. But if he does it then and then keeps it going through another year, then the big offers will start coming. For so that's the thing. I mean, if he, if he goes on a tear uh, and they get relegated, you know, he might go somewhere else, you know, if he's, uh, if he's got a, a relegation clause in his contract. And, um, and so, you know, it obviously it benefits him to, to really start putting the ball in the back of the net and, you know, hopefully get back on track for the world cup. Regardless, I was happy to see him scoring. Absolutely. It was, you could tell that, it made him feel good. And there was a little bit of a weight lifted there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the next uh, couple months go for him. Hopefully he can, the, the pride I mean, of Norwich is not going to score a ton of goals. I mean, it's just not going to happen, but I mean, hopefully he can make a positive out of this season. Um, what's left. Okay. So we talked about the cold and how it would impact the play. couple facts that I, or facts, a couple of tidbits that I picked up that I thought were interesting. Um, just on some, Listen to the different reports and, and whatnot. Um, we talked a little bit about why are we playing in St. Paul? And, you know, part of it is related to ensuring that it's a pro U.S. crowd. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this that are some of them are not great for U.S. soccer, but I understand the philosophy. I understand what they're trying to accomplish. I wish that they had gone about it in a better way, but um, I understand what they're trying to accomplish. Um, Minnesota is a two hour flight from Hamilton, Ontario. Surely we could find a different location that might have slightly better weather conditions than St. Paul, Minnesota on the 2nd of February. And the reason I bring it up is, you know, the current forecasted weather is 17 degrees with snow for that game. And I just, I understand, you know, making it hard on the central American teams, but honestly, if you cannot beat Honduras at home without putting them in 17 degree weather, I don't even know what to say. Like, and the other part of it is, I don't know that it helps the U S to play in these conditions. I like really don't believe that it does. I started doing a little bit of research on, you know, what was available. We talked about last week, uh, why can't they come to Kansas city? Apparently Kansas city's not, wasn't available. Like they couldn't have the field ready. Um, this was something I heard on football Americas. Uh, Herc was talking about the fact that there was something potentially, or maybe it was Sebi. One of the two of them was talking about something they're potentially being wrong with the heating system. So now I'm going to, have to like DM Casey Montgomery and be like, what the world's going on there. Um, so apparently children's mercy park could not be available in time. They talked it's, about it's Nashville. Not, not like the weather here would have been better necessarily. I mean, um, yeah, potentially, right. It's, it's a crap shoot as well yeah. here, right? Like yeah. some days are 25, some days are 45. It, I okay. agree with you there, but 25 is a whole lot different than like, 17 is the high with snow like yeah we we've had a couple of those days but they don't generally i mean you you're playing the odds to not hit one of them uh nashville was a no-go because of the nfl although titans got beat so maybe that's not a big deal now but um it would it could potentially have been i thought about charlotte as a potential option but 
I also similar NFL issues, given that you're making, you're doing these plans in November, right. For these matches. So I understand why Charlotte might not have gone. Um, The only other one that the one that I looked up that, you know, if we're going back to Columbus, why can't we go back to Cincinnati? I mean, yeah, Cincinnati, Cincinnati is a a half hour further flight away from than Columbus. And, you know, so you'd actually be closer than you would, in St. Paul. And I looked up the forecast. It's going to be like 48 degrees and raining in Cincinnati yeah. on, on uh, next week on the second, which is basically, you know, rainy Thursday in Stoke. Um, I, I'm just, the only reason I bring this up is because I just feel like they overthought themselves a little bit on this one. I just think they, they want to be, you know, they want to be as difficult uh, for South American teams to play as they are for us when we travel. And, you know, they think that this is a way to do that. Um, and, you know, I... Yeah, but you're, you're hurting your own team. Yeah, so so I, I disagree with that. You know, I, I completely, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, our goal allegedly is to play, you know, front-footed, attacking possession-based soccer and you know the, these conditions um you know a lot of times work counter to that so uh, i think it's i think it's just silly honestly and um and i think that <laughs> you know i think they should play i i would have no problem with them playing in a in a much warmer environment um and even even if you know you run into other fans i think that I don't think that that's as much of an issue as the weather personally, but I, I understand it against Mexico. Like yes. I get why you 100%. do that against Mexico. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I rem- I think that U S soccer got hit so hard from the Costa Rica match at Red Bull arena that they sort of over indexed, right? Because there's such a Costa Rican uh, population in New York City, that in New York and New Jersey, that came to Red Bull Arena, they felt like that, and it became this thing where they they over-indexed a little bit on this. Sure. Um, I just I, I think that there are ways to accomplish that goal if that's how you want to manage it without playing in St. Paul. That's yeah. All. That's kind of where I'm where I'm at on that. Um, well, they you, did. They did make the decision to play Panama in, in uh, Orlando in the next window, which is good. Now, granted, that's part of that is because they're traveling. You know, it's Mexico away, then Orlando, yeah. and then at Costa Rica. So that has has a lot to do with, you know, travel is is a significant part of that. But still, we could have found places within two hours of Hamilton that um, would have a U.S. crowd and are not sixteen degrees. Yeah. I would, okay, not, well, I, would, I would not enjoy attending that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but you're just, you're, it, you're, you're making the game harder for your own players for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it is harder for everybody, but yeah. it's this whole philosophy that they're going to feel it more than you when, yeah. I mean, you're all running around playing soccer and the game is going to be, dirty because of it because it's cold and because it's the field is hard and because all the it's not going to be a quality game so anyway um 
we'll have to see how it goes. I'm I'm looking very much looking forward to the matches. I I yeah. do work. The roster is about as good as you can get without Gio Reyna, right? Yep. And um, we have not had the MMA midfield plus Pulisic in literally any match this year. So I am very much looking forward to seeing how. Well, maybe they play. Did they play in the Nations League final together? I don't know if Musa played in the Nations League final. Anyway, I don't think he did. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen it often. We certainly haven't seen it in World Cup qualifiers. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I do have an optimistic outlook, even though I'm over here berating all of the bad decisions that have been made. Um, we do like to, you know, talk about the the details about what we're seeing and what's going on. I think it will be very interesting. It will be very interesting to see what um, you know unexpected changes Burhalter throws at us because there will be some i promise um, yeah it's his, it's his forte he he tends yeah. to do some galaxy brain things or what we consider to be galaxy brain they may or may not be actually galaxy brain but on paper may appear to be galaxy brain so um it'll be fun we're looking forward to it i will enjoy tuning in on twitter with all of you um tomorrow evening to see how the first match goes and uh, I don't know, Cody, are we going to do this again next week? Or are we going to wait a week? Um, I'm not, I, let's, let's do it next week. We'll have, we'll uh, have to do it Thursday then. Then we'll be after fine. the, yeah. We'll be know, after at, minimum, the at minimum, we'll have two, two uh, um, U.S. men's games to talk about. So well, we'll have three because the last game's on Wednesday next week. So okay, we'll have we the have whole window done day. if we do it next Thursday. So All right. we'll be, we'll be Perfect. back on the normal, the normal, uh, Thursday night, Friday morning release schedule next week, and we'll discuss what we saw, and I'm sure have all kinds of arguments about um, how Greg Berhalter does all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, <laughs> looking forward yeah, no, to it. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I, honestly, like I will be the first person to say I do not dislike Greg Berhalter as a coach. I actually think he does he does interesting things, and he's a very thoughtful coach. And I will also be the first person to say that. It is so nice to have a thoughtful, reasoned coach for the U.S. men's national team versus some guy that just was out there like, oh, just run, you know, do whatever. Go in these spots. It's fine. Play hard. I, but are they doing yoga? I mean, you know, yoga is important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, I mean, like, you can d- disagree with with Burhalter's thoughts on stuff, and reasonable people will disagree about all kinds of things. The guy does a ton of homework and is very thoughtful about what he decides to do. Yep, I he know that for a, a fact. Yeah, yeah, he has a plan and he's doing it. Sometimes the plan doesn't work, but he'll be the first person to admit when it doesn't work, and he'll make adjustments to the plan. And that's literally all you can ask for from a coach. Absolutely. And it's a very, very refreshing compared to uh, his predecessor. So completely agree. All right, cool. All right. Well, we will uh, talk to y'all guys. uh, Talk to you. Well, I'll talk to you, Cody, next week. Y'all listen to us talking. Um, See you next time. All right. We'll see you, Drew. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.